Good morning. Great to be with you all. And uh, it's a joy uh, to gather with the saints and to consider what God's Word says to us. This morning we'll be looking at James chapter 5. James chapter, James chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses uh, 7 through 12. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, where the Holy Spirit of God, through, through His inspired Word, addresses us in this way. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, would you give light through the preaching of your word? May your spirit cause us to see our Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory and grow in anticipation of his coming. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you looking forward to? What is it that you are fixing your eyes on that is causing you to grow in excitement? Well, for many of us, I think it is looking forward to the calendar changing in, in a few weeks. Everyone is waiting for the end of 2020. I just wish 2020 would end. And you're waiting for the clock to strike midnight and then, you know, the year to change to 2021. And maybe you have some hope that if 2021, you know, comes, it'll all be much better. Maybe. There's no guarantees. It's an uncertain hope. Maybe you're looking forward to Christmas. You know, the, this is the season coming a few weeks from now will be uh, the Christmas uh, season. And, you know, we're in these weeks, uh, what we call, what is often called by many Christians, Advent. And the word Advent, maybe you didn't know this, means coming or arrival. And so Christians uh, celebrate and think about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he came into the world to save sinners. Well, today's text is about a different kind of advent, a different coming of Christ, his arrival. Advent refers to arrival. And with this coming, we're called to really look forward to it because unlike the year changing from 2020 to 2021, this coming of Jesus is something to really look forward to. It's a sure and certain hope that when he comes, all our sorrows will really end. And so this morning, James is calling us, dear brothers and sisters, to patiently wait in hope for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In fact, he tells us this is how we endure suffering because we know that it will end soon. The coming of Jesus is a great comfort, should be a great comfort for every Christian believer. And at the same time, James also wants us to be warned and to be sobered by the fact that the Lord is returning. He comes as a savior, yes, but he also comes as a righteous judge. And all people, both Christians and non-Christians, will have to stand before him and give an account in the final judgment. Jesus Christ is coming soon. And so this morning, in light of his coming, James gives us one main appeal together with two warnings. One main appeal and two warnings in light of Jesus' coming. First, first we're going to look at his main appeal. Jesus Christ is coming soon, therefore endure suffering patiently. We must endure suffering patiently. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And if you notice there, James repeats again and again, be patient. He emphasizes patience. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers. Look at the farmer, how he is patient. Verse 8, you also be patient. And of course, the other theme that is repeatedly emphasized here is the nearness of the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. To say that the coming of the Lord is at hand is a way of saying that that it's, it's almost already here. It's near. You know, the Lord could come today and, and 2021 may not even come. It's more certain that the Lord's coming. Right? We don't know when He's going to come. He could come any moment. His coming is near. His coming is at hand. In verse 9, uh, James comes back to this again. He says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He is standing at the door and at any moment he may decide to open and walk in. The Lord's coming is near. Dear friends, this is the next major event in God's plan of salvation and in God's orchestration of world, world history. This is the next major event, the coming of Christ. And all of us, we're living in the final chapter of the book of world history. If, if world history, the history of this world were to be considered a book, then, then you and I, all of us, we're living on the last page, very last pages, before the Lord returns. And of course, James was, uh, realize, you realize that James was writing this 2,000 years ago, and you know, it's been a long time. But back then, and even now, we are all to wait with expectant hearts, with expectant hope, that the Lord will soon come. 
As one uh, person put it, every generation of Christians lives or should live with the consciousness that the second coming of Jesus could occur at any time and that one needs to make decisions and choose values based on that realization. Do you know this is a really, really central tenet of our faith? It's a central teaching of the Bible, of the New Testament. Maybe you haven't realized there are some truths that are you know, on every page of Scripture and as we're reading the Bible, sometimes we don't even realize this. We don't notice. It just pass along, you know. Uh, the second coming of Jesus, for instance, by one count, appears in one out of every 13 verses in the New Testament. So if you're reading from Matthew to Revelation, one out of every 13, 13 verses talks about Jesus' return. Maybe you didn't realize that. We so often just live our lives, right? Like, we don't even realize this. We don't think about it. This is to be the central hope of our hearts. This is to be foremost in our thoughts and expectations. This is to be the hope of every Christian, what we look forward to. But we live our lives from day to day, from week to week, you know, just thinking about the next day, the next hour, the next meal, the next task that you have to do. But the certainty and, and sure expectation that Jesus is coming, that should be the forefront of our minds. That should be what drives us in everything that we do. That should be where we fix our eyes and our hearts. And, and what is the reason that James is reminding these Christians of this? James is reminding them that Jesus is coming. He's reminding us that Jesus is coming soon. Why does he do that? Well, it's to encourage them and to encourage us to endure with patience in our suffering, to endure suffering with patience. Of course, you remember the context from last week. Maybe you remember last week's sermon. Uh, these Christians were suffering oppression at the hands of rich oppressors, uh, people who were persecuting them, uh, causing them great strain and trial and affliction. Those who were righteous, the righteous people of God, were facing suffering as, as God's people always do. And last week, you might, you might remember, the response for us as Christians was not to envy the unrighteous rich because their judgment is soon coming. And, and so this week, James wants us to see, instead of envying them for their wealth or riches, fix your eyes on something greater. Fix your eyes on the greater blessing that is coming for all who are faithful and that's what's going to get you through the trials and afflictions and suffering of this life. You know, there are so many examples of this here in our congregation among our brothers and sisters. So many of you face suffering in so many ways. What is it that helps you to endure? It's, it's fixing your eyes on the Lord who is coming and will put it all to an end. I, I was talking to one of our members, dear sister, uh, just this past week, and she's the only believer in her family. All, both sides, all extended family, the only Christian, and she faces a lot of oppression, hostility even from her own family members because of her faith in Jesus. And you know, as she was telling me this, uh, she also shared, and, and this is so beautiful, such a beautiful example. She shared, uh, you know, Pastor, I, I know I'm going through all this, but it's all worth it because I know that in all this, God is working for His glory and for my good, and I trust Him. Praise the Lord for such examples of faith. And so James wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus, that he will end our suffering when he comes. You know, this is why when, when we suffer, we, we ask, how long, how long, O Lord? And James repeatedly tells us, be patient, be patient. 
Establish your hearts, dear brothers and sisters. He gives us three examples of this kind of patience that we should have, of patient endurance in suffering. The first one is the example of the farmer. Look at verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, I am a city boy and have not much familiarity with farming at all. But I think some of you might be familiar with farms, and I think, you know, the, the idea is clear when it comes to farming. At the point with farming is that you need to remember you're not in control of everything. You can do what you have to do, and after that you have to leave it to the Lord. The farmer can't really do much to affect the outcome. He, he can do what is needed. He can sow the seed at the right time, and then he has to wait patiently for the right rain to come at the right time. Now James talks here about the early and the latter rains or the early and the late rains. And in uh, ancient Palestine, they would expect uh, rain to come in October and then uh, another rain, the spring rain, to come in March. And both of these rains had to be consistent and had to come in order for the harvest to be successful. And this phrase, the early and the late rains, are, is used quite consistently in the Old Testament, like in our passage that our sister Megan read today from Joel 2. And it's used to refer to the faithfulness of the Lord every single time. The context talks about the faithfulness of the Lord. He is the one who gives the rain. He is the Lord of the harvest. He will give its rain in season. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is faithful. He will come. The Lord Jesus will come. He will return. And he has given to us in this time to wait, to endure, to pray, and to confidently expect and look forward to his coming. The first example here of patience, waiting, and suffering is the farmer. The second example is in verses 10 and 11, and this is the prophets, the prophets. As an example of suffering and patience, verse 10, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And of course, you could think of numerous prophets in the Old Testament who faced great persecution, great suffering for their faithfulness to the Lord, for speaking God's word. You could go read 1 Kings and read the story of Elijah, and see the affliction that he faced, how he had to run for his life because of his faithfulness to the Lord. You could read the book of Jeremiah and, and see how Jeremiah was faithful to speak God's word even under the threat of death. They constantly were threatening to put him to death. He was thrown into a pit even. But he was faithful to declare God's word. And by looking at the example of prophets like these, we see that doing God's will, speaking God's truth, leads to suffering. Suffer, that suffering is part of the package of following Jesus. That we speak for Christ, that we live for his name's sake, and that means that we have to be patient and endure suffering in this life. But with that suffering, there is always the promise of blessing. 
He says, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, has promised this. And in fact, I think that's what James is thinking of. He's thinking of the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord Jesus says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Brothers and sisters, we can endure suffering in patience and remain steadfast because the Lord has promised that one day you will receive a great reward and our suffering will turn to joy and we will be blessed. And the necessary quality for receiving that blessing is is simple. Be patient. Be patient and endure in all of this suffering. You know, this is diametrically opposite to what the false teachers of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teach today. They tell you that if you just have enough faith right now, you'll be blessed right now. You can have your best life now. Dear beloved, that's false. That's The opposite of what James is saying. It's not our best life now. It's a hard life now. And we will face suffering. We will face darkness not yet understood, even as we sang this morning. But God has promised us that we will be blessed. The Lord has promised that we will be rewarded in the future. And we can look forward to that with certainty. That's what gives us the strength to endure even now. So don't be fooled by the false teachers with their lies. In fact, your suffering might be a mark that your faith is true. The third example that James gives us after the farmer and the prophets is the example of Job. And and the man Job is one of the preeminent examples of faithful suffering in the Old Testament. Look again at verse 11. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And of course, you know, if you read the story of Job, he's a great example of being steadfast. This man who was a righteous man, who honored God in all that he did, you know, he had everything taken away from him, faced great suffering, great attacks from Satan, But in the midst of all of it, God was sovereignly working and orchestrating all things. And you see that Job in his suffering is an example of steadfastness and patience. But when you read the book of Job, you see Job crying out and struggling, wrestling with doubt, even despair at times. And there's a lesson for us in that, brothers and sisters. Biblical patience in the midst of suffering is not some kind of quiet smiling, happy, pretending all is fine. You don't have to act like everything is okay. The Lord allows us to be honest with Him and with each other about our suffering. You don't have to come all smiley face, oh, praise the Lord, Pastor, it's okay. No. When you look at Job's life, even under the load, he is pouring out his sorrow, he is pouring out his anguish and the Lord wants us to be able to lament and pour out our sorrow and anguish and bring it back to him. Even this is an act of faith, being real about the sorrow and suffering that you're facing. 
This is an act of faith. You know, one preacher gave the example of weightlifters. And I know a little bit about that, more than I know about farming. But weightlifters, when you lift a heavy load, it's not just easy flying up, you know. They're under pressure and their knees are buckling and, and arms are shaking. But they have to bear up under the pressure and push and even cry out to be able to lift it up. And, and that's what Job shows us. Even under great load, under great suffering, holding on, pushing hard, crying out, waiting patiently, not giving up, not turning away from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, take your sorrows to the Lord. Cry out to Him. Be real with Him. Let's be real with each other, even in our sorrow and suffering. And of course, there is also the other aspect. You see Job's example of steadfastness, but you also see, and we know, what Job did not see or know in his suffering. And James tells us that, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Brothers and sisters, our God is so full of compassion, so full of mercy for his people. The Lord Jesus Christ, he holds his, his saints in his heart so closely. His heart overflows with love and compassion for sinners and sufferers like us. And even in Job's life, all through it all, Job did not know this. He didn't know what's happening backstage. He didn't know what's happening behind the scenes. That in all of his suffering, the Lord had a purpose for Job to purify Job to vindicate Job against the accusations of Satan, to show that Job is truly a righteous man, and in the end, after all of it, to bless and restore Job. The Lord's purpose is always at work, even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, and He is compassionate and merciful. And brothers and sisters, one day, one day, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, you will see his face and it will all be clear. And you look back and say, oh, all of that suffering, all of those things that I didn't understand, now I know why. Dear brothers and sisters, just a little longer, just a little longer, just a little while, and you will see and understand the beautiful, wise, and purposeful plan of the Lord. Jesus will come back soon. And when he does, every tear that you have shed, every sorrow that has weighed upon your heart, every insult that you faced for his name, every loss and anguish that you've walked through, It'll all be worth it when you see his glorious face and when you're blessed in his presence. That's our hope. And that's the central and main appeal that James makes to us today. To endure suffering patiently until our compassionate and merciful Savior comes who will wipe every tear from our eyes. But James also wants to give us some warnings. He also wants to give us some warnings. Because the one who comes as a compassionate savior is also a righteous and holy judge. 
And you know, when we're facing trials and pressures and stresses from every side, when, when all of the pressure begins building, we can quite easily fail to respond with patience. And instead, we fall into impatience. And we can display our impatience through sins of speech. And James wants to remind us that when Jesus returns, we too, he says, brothers, be reminded of this. He's speaking to Christians. We too, as Christians, will have to give an account for how we have lived. And so, on the one hand, he appeals to us to endure suffering patiently, but then he gives us two warnings, how not to forfeit our hope and not to come under judgment. And the first warning is, don't grumble restlessly. Endure suffering patiently. Don't grumble restlessly. Look at verse 10. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Grumbling displays impatience. Grumbling is a symptom of impatience and it's quite easy to fall into, right? You know, when facing pressure from opponents, when trying hard to wait patiently for the Lord, in all of the sufferings in this life, you know, all of the stress, it can lead us so quickly to sin against one another, to be harsh with our words and to speak grumbling words against a fellow believer or against the church. Dear brothers and sisters, grumbling is so dangerous. You know, Sinclair Ferguson says, grumbling has destroyed more churches than anything else in the world, even more than heresy. And you may remember several weeks ago when we started this sermon series through James, I talked about the, the Titanic, the great ship which was called Unsinkable, and it crashed into an iceberg, and then cracks developed in the steel which eventually caused the Titanic to sink with great loss of life. You know, we've faced icebergs together in this church. And there are many trials that have come our way. And I pray it won't lead to grumbling in our lives where we grumble and eventually sink. James reminds us, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble so that you don't come under judgment. You know, when Jesus comes, we will have to give an account to him for every unwarranted, unkind word of grumbling that we've spoken against fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You know, conflict, it happens. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We have misunderstandings. We have situations which lead to conflict or irritation or agitation with someone else in the church. And really, the Bible gives us two ways of addressing conflict. There are only two options that we have. All right, and, and very early in our marriage, <laughs> you know, I, I, I made this a policy in our home. We have two options when we're struggling, even if it's someone, you know, from, from the church or someone else. We have just two options. Option number one, you can forgive them and let it go. Forgive them and let it go. So someone has hurt you, someone has upset you, they did something wrong. You, re you can remember that, you know, you're a sinner just like they are. You've sinned against others just as they have sinned against you. We're both sinners before the Lord. Jesus died for them just as he died for you. They're counted righteous in his sight just as you are. And you can choose to forgive them and let it go. That's option one. 
Option two is you speak to them and sort it out. If you're finding yourself unable to extend forgiveness, you need to go to that person. You need to go to that person. Bible says if, if your brother sins against you, go and show them their fault between him and you alone. You can go to that person, address the issue, and seek to be reconciled. There is no option number three where you grow about, grow bitter in it, in your heart about it, and then go and grumble to other people about it or grumble to the leadership about it. That option does not exist, dear friends. So we can forgive someone and let it go, or go to them and sort it out. Right? This is this is how we avoid grumbling. And 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 it's the same with with church leadership. You know, we are frail, sinful, weak men who by the grace of God are seeking to lead the church with the wisdom of God, seeking Him desperately for His grace. And we can make mistakes, we can fall, our elders are not invincible, we are not the Lord Jesus Christ. We are men who are trying to be like Christ and trying to lead. And there may be decisions sometimes that we make that someone gets upset or you make a decision, you know, the church leadership makes a decision, you can never keep everyone happy. Uh, you know, someone didn't understand. And brothers and sisters, when something like that happens, come to us. We, we welcome your feedback. We always want to hear from the church and to know how we can do better and serve better and shepherd better. Come to your elders. You know, I know all of these men who are serving as elders of the church, they are worthy of your trust. Come to them and, and share rather than growing in discontent and then beginning to grumble. We've got to guard ourselves against grumbling because it can destroy the church. So let's take James's warning seriously. Let's not grumble. Let's not forfeit the blessing of pure hope and patience and waiting for the Lord. Let's not forfeit that through restlessness and grumbling. That's one warning. Uh, the first warning here is don't grumble restlessly. And James also gives us a second warning in light of the fact that Jesus is coming. And again, he addresses a sin of speech. Right? You might remember throughout this letter, James is concerned with sins of the tongue, how we control our tongue and how we show self-control in our speech. So the second warning also addresses speech. And this is, don't swear rashly. Endure suffering patiently. Don't grumble restlessly. Don't swear rashly. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Again, I think James is channeling the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where the Lord Jesus says this in verses 33 and following. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So this is a, a little bit of a controversial territory, and, and sometimes this uh, can be missed. This passage and, and this teaching on oaths in the New Testament can be misunderstood. Uh, so you know, some Christians and maybe even some of you uh, take these texts to mean that we should never Christians should never take any kind of oath in any context. 
so maybe that's your view. Uh, you know, the people will believe that, you know, even in a, in a legal context, in a courtroom, a Christian should not take an oath. Uh, you should not sign any formal document or commitment. And, and this is wrong because these texts say don't make oaths. Um, well, you know, that might be your view. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that that's the uh, teaching of these passages. I think when we read it in the broader context of Scripture as a whole, uh, we get a clearer idea of what this means, so I'll try to explain it to you. I think several times in the Bible, for one thing, you see even authors of the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, speaking with an oath formula. So Paul will say, you know, I call God to bear witness to me. Uh, that's taking an oath and, and calling God to attest to the fact that you're speaking the truth. The Bible upholds marriage, for instance, as a covenant commitment. And in marriage, we make marriage vows. Right? Marriage is a covenant. It's an oath that you're making in marriage to, to stay faithful to someone until death do you apart. Uh, in fact, we even see the author of Hebrews shows us that God himself makes an oath. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, he says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And then in verse 16, the author says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So obviously this author is not condemning oaths or saying that you can't make an oath at all. And so when we're reading in light of those things, we look at passages like what we saw in James 5, and in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we understand better what James and Jesus are warning us about. An oath is not wrong in every context. But making oaths rashly. Swearing rashly. Making commitments without the intent to keep them. Or trying to you know, uh, prove your integrity with an oath unnecessarily. This, this is what James is cautioning us about. And it's easy to see, right? Think of the context. They're facing oppression. They're facing persecution, pressure. And, and you know, when you're in that situation, under pressure to prove yourself, uh, you might just speak rashly, make a false commitment. And, and I've seen this happen many times. You know, we, we make a commitment without really thinking things through, through. We, you know, we make serious commitments without taking things seriously. And we are warned and cautioned against that. You know, I think the example of this, uh, common examples of this kind of rash speaking is, you know, when I was in school and in college, uh, you know, playing cricket or something, and then there's some kind of a dispute, you know, did you really hit the ball or, or what? And then, then the guy will say, you know, hey, God promise, you know, God promise. Or mother promise, you know, or something like this. It's quite common. In the West, I, I mean, it's a little bit different. They may say things like, I swear to God, you know, and, and things like this. And we are warned against any of that kind of speech. That is rash. That is ungodly. Making commitments, sometimes Christians will make a commitment and then, you know, when, when time comes to keep the commitment, there's no intent. Just under the pressure of the moment or fear of man, uh, you know, or, or some kind of situation to, to please someone else, you just say, yeah, I'll do it. And then you have no intent of doing it. Uh, these are all bringing us under judgment and a sin of speech. In fact, the Bible's standard for us as Christians, as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, is we are to have such integrity and such truthfulness in our words that you don't even need an oath, that your yes really means yes, and your no really means no. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to strive towards with one another, that we speak honestly and truthfully with full integrity. So James has warned us then 
about integrity in our speech, and he's warned us not to display impatience with grumbling and rash swearing. Beloved friends, the judge is coming soon. The judge is already standing at the door. He will come in righteous judgment. And yes, there are warnings for us in that. Because when we take seriously the fact that Jesus is coming and that he's coming as a righteous judge, we recognize that all of us have failed. All of us have sinned in some measure or another. All of us have been guilty of grumbling. All of us have been rash with our words and failed to follow through on commitments. And yet even in that, there can be great comfort and confident hope because we realize that the one who comes as a judge is also one who has suffered under judgment. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the greatest example of patience under suffering. The Lord Jesus is God the Son eternal and he took on our flesh and came to this earth in his first coming. And he lived the perfect life in, even though he faced suffering on many sides, suffering that he did not deserve. And he never sinned. And he went to the cross. And at the cross, the one who will be the judge of all the world was judged himself. And he took upon himself judgment not for his sin, but for our sin. Jesus Christ took upon himself the judgment that is deserved for us, for being grumblers, and those who speak rashly, Jesus took upon himself our judgment so that whoever turns away from their sin and trusts in him will not have the fear of judgment, but will have the hope of comfort. So if you're here this morning and if you've not trusted Jesus, if he's not your Lord and not your Savior, I want to call you to come to him. Come and trust in this Christ today who will free you from sin and you can live with the sure hope that when he comes again, he will be your savior and you will be comforted and have sure hope in this life. Beloved brothers and sisters, this is what we look forward to. This is what should drive us every day, that we fix our eyes on his coming and we look forward and wait for that day when he will surely come and wipe every tear from our eyes when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sure hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon and help us to eagerly await your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.